top four race will go down to the final day of the season this Sunday. And with fans finally back in the Premier League stadiums, things are looking very interesting, Justin. It's over the top. Match week 36. I'm Kyle. Got my man Justin here. What's up, dude? Isn't it match week 37? <laughs> it is. You can tell we've been working overtime on this because, like, dude, we recorded, like, two days ago. We recorded so. two days ago. You know, our listeners in are in for a treat, really. Two Three days and two episodes from Kyle and Justin. That's pretty. It's pretty special. We're working overtime, but like I, you know, I at least feel comfortable knowing I'm not the only one. That's like to- my head is totally swirling with all the games going. On. I mean, I'm not complaining. You're not complaining because we love having matches every day. But pretty much has been matches every day for like a month now. It's crazy. I know. I know. I know. If only the relegation picture was a little more interesting, then we'd have a lot to talk about. We still have a lot to talk about, but not nearly as much as if the relegation picture was not complete. Absolutely. And I'm not going to lie. There's a lot more hanging on this final day of the season than at least I definitely thought about two or three match weeks ago when relegation was confirmed. Uh, Leicester and City or Leicester and Chelsea looked a lock for top four. Liverpool were struggling. Oh man, how things have changed for your boys, Leicester. But in the meantime, they won an FA Cup. So they won an FA Cup. I asked you. I don't remember if it was on the stream or off the stream. What would you rather have if you're a Leicester fan? Uh, fifth place finish and a trophy, or a fourth place finish and no trophy? And I believe you said fifth place finish and a trophy. Is that right? I, I did. Yeah. yeah. I should. I should. I should clarify though. That trophy would not have been Carabao Cup, but FA Cup. FA yeah. Cup, right. First Carabao ever Cup. FA Cup. That's a big thing that you look back on, you know, 50 plus years later. And I don't think you really care if you're in Champions League next season. I mean, after they won the title, I don't think anyone really remembers that Champions League season afterwards. But I don't know. They made the last eight. I do remember that. Yeah, they, they did pretty well. They did pretty yeah, well. What was the manager's name? Craig Shakespeare, right? Was that who it was? I think so, because they sacked... Uh... Ranieri. Interesting. I, I thought by that time they had uh, Claude Puel or something, but maybe that was the season that was after. The season yeah, after. Right. Yeah. Wow. Imagine that team in the Champions League, though, if they had Mares and, and Conte, it would have been a totally different story. But to bring that team without those two to the final eight, like, that's a serious. Well, Mares was still there. That's right. He went the year after. Still, so Conte like was. Two years. Yeah. Conte was the glue of that team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a massive loss. Um, speaking of Leicester City, Kyle, they lost 2-1 to one at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Yesterday, midday, and you have to say that Chelsea deserved it. I mean, the first half, they came out pressing, and they scored, I think, two goals in the first half, but none of them were allowed. Um, you had an offside call which I think was the correct call. But again, VAR had to wave that off. You had a handball, Kyle, uh, that Timo Werner went and celebrated like crazy, uh, which totally hit off the hand. And by the way, like if you know it hit off the hand, that's quite the celebration, right? Like, what are we doing? Especially one where like all he had to do was like stick his neck out. Like he, he, it was one of those headers where he jumped and then he went like, turtle well, chicken you know, wing maybe like i don't know a full turtle his neck like went into his body and he didn't like you know go for the ball it was it was very odd he's clearly very low on goal scoring confidence but not just those two things timo Werner was very involved in this first half he was also hacked inside of the box and who knows how var didn't even look at that to see didn't if even it, was look. Worth it. it was outrageous i mean a clear dead-on penalty so Frustrating, but you're totally right, man. Chelsea totally dominated, especially the first half. Leicester were much better in the second half. Um, but, um, you know, clawing their way back with a late Iheanacho goal, who didn't start, but we'll probably get to Leicester later. Yeah, so let's start with Chelsea. I mean, they clearly, you know, it's the second time they played Leicester in four days, right? And came out with a, di- a little bit different of a lineup. Timo Werner still in there. They t- they yanked Ziyech off and put Pulisic in, Kyle. So a little bit different look there. They went with the five at the back with also Reese James playing in that third center back, that right center back position instead of Azpilicueta and Azpilicueta playing the right wing back, which before it was reversed. So I, I-, I think that's an interesting take because Azpilicueta doesn't quite have the speed that Reese James does, but... 
maybe I I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. move. I mean, clearly it worked for this game, but I'm not sold on it yet. No, I thought it was very odd because you have one player who's a very much a not attacking right back. I mean, Aspilicueta is great. I I remember Mourinho saying if he could have twelve Aspilicueta's on one squad, he would take it. And I totally get what he's getting at because the guy's a leader, but he is not your swashbuckling, forward-thinking, progressive right back. Whereas Reese James really has, you know, defense defensive deficiencies, but his final delivery, his pace, his power, his ability—I mean. The guy's got skills, so very, very, very shoot the ball too. Very, very odd. Yeah, had one of the rips of the season early on, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, you know, Brendan Rodgers went into the halftime talk. It was nil nil. Um, Le- Lester probably feeling pretty fortunate, Kyle, that they were tied at halftime, given the flow of the game and the chances created and etc. So you know, probably encouraged that it was still a draw because a draw would have been a really good result for Lester. But, of course, coming in out at halftime, you know, coming out with a game plan and then Chelsea scoring two minutes after halftime, that completely shatters um, any game plan they had and Antonio Rudiger getting a really important goal for Chelsea. Absolutely. I mean, he was just right there at the right time. Ball basically just hit off of him. Hit off his head. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great corner, though, you got to say. And Rudiger... uh, he was also another player who's very, very involved on many uh, um, hot points between mostly on tackles. You could just tell the guy loves to tackle. He loves to just like totally clear out a striker. And you got to love players like that, especially when they have like the Batman mask on like he did. Um, but he was very involved. Uh, this was honestly the way I don't know how you saw it, but the way I saw it is this was not just a massive win, but a statement, just the intent that Chelsea showed and the way they played and the intensity they played. You could tell the pressure was really on Chelsea for this match, much more than Leicester, even if the narrative is like, oh, Leicester's going to choke again, blah, blah, which I think is unfair. We'll probably get to that. But the pressure was really on Chelsea to really see their season potentially go from great, great finish to teeter on the edge of failure. And it's not well, over yet, but it was more monumental for Chelsea because with a loss or a draw, they're probably out of the Champions League. Yeah. Um, whereas Leicester, a win, and they would have secured it, which they're not out of it yet, but it's looking bleak. And we'll get to that in a second. Leicester, though, Kyle, this is the first time all season they've been outside the top four. I think my, maybe not like the first two weeks, but basically, I think it's the first time in like 200 plus days. They're outside the top four. Um, you mentioned the choking instance, which is a little harsh given they just won the FA Cup. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to say last season they spent, I think, 290 days in the top four and didn't finish. They spent over 250 days, I believe, this season and didn't finish in, or, and are not in the top four going into the final week. So it's brutal, man. As a Leicester City fan and hoping, watching your side barely miss out on a Champions League potentially for a second straight season. It's got to be a huge bummer. It is, it is. And it's got to make things really bittersweet or just kind of like leave an odd taste in your mouth after such a great season. And I'm with you. I don't really see this as another season where they choked, whereas last season they literally just nosedived hard. And outside of the two best teams, there really weren't any great teams in the league. Whereas this this time around, it's a little bit different. I know Liverpool have really struggled, but um, you know Chelsea are a really good outfit this time around, much better than they were last season. Um, you know West Ham has that curveball, but like it's not like teams are just stumbling over the line to the top four like it was last last year. I know that a lot of teams are slipping up here and there, but these teams are much more solid and reliable, I guess, in that sense. So I, I don't quite see it that way, but. More than anything, Leicester just looked, they looked tired and Chelsea were really better in every way, which of course you could understand after all the effort they put in that FA Cup final. Uh, yes, they ground that out and won with a wonder goal from Tielemans, but all that defensive work to do that all over again has just got to be really tough. It's tiring and, you know, they probably spent the night on Saturday celebrating and Getting back to training Sunday for a Tuesday game was not going to happen, so they probably trained on Monday. And so Chelsea had a fire that, especially in the first half, you could tell they wanted it, and they wanted it bad. And so, you know, it's very disappointing, but it goes to the final week. 
You have to say, though, given all of the disappointment um, and the lack of good play from Leicester, they could have tied this game, Kyle, with this opportunity in stoppage time, a ball into Yosi Perez, probably near the penalty spot, uh, with an open goal. I mean, just the goalie to beat and blast it over the bar, Kyle. That was that. That could have been a top yeah. four changing moment right there. Criminal. It was criminal. And you know, if that Paul, if I, if that falls to a player like Madison or Ianacho or, or Vardy, Ianacho, yeah, uh, I think they bury that. All three uh, Tielemans, even. I mean, literally any of them except. Ayozi Perez, I know he's had good moments this year, but man. Hot and cold, man. I mean, he's had some really terrible moments, too. And I mean, the, yes. just the lapse of judgment, too, to host a party and have go against COVID protocol. And James Madison had to miss the game. Um, I know Harvey Barnes there, but he's injured in another player that I can't remember. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's not the first time he's let his team down for sure. Disappointing, and and speaking of disappointment, I would you know as Lester are your adopted boys. I would love to gauge how you're feeling about this because I I've been I've been wondering this whole time. You know, are Lester fans happy with the season if they don't finish top four? Which is legitimately a tricky question, and I'd love to pose it to you as like a you know an adopted team of yours. How are you feeling? Is it doom you know, and gloom, or is there really an upside to this season that didn't end as well as it could have, but ultimately, still a good season? No, it's not doom and gloom, Kyle. I mean, definitely disappointing if they don't finish top four, given the position they were in all season. 100% a disappointment. But it's not a failure by any stretch, because, I mean, look, Leicester are overachieving. Given the budget they have and the resources of the club, they should not be finishing above an Arsenal or a Tottenham, and especially two years in a row, right? And so that that's pretty that's a pretty cool achievement. And then as well as winning an FA Cup. Not every team wins an FA Cup or gets to the FA Cup final. This is their first win ever, right? And their first FA Cup final in many, many years. I think it was what, like forty? I could be wrong. But it was a lot of years. First FA Cup win in 40 years? I think uh, it's... First FA Cup final, like, appearance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I was going to say it's her first FA first Cup First FA Cup ever. win ever. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I'm saying. You can't have a failure. I mean, you know, us over in America, we, we love the playoffs. We have a whole playoff structure. We look at the Champions League as playoffs, and not getting to the Champions League is viewed as a failure. But in England, it's a little different, where trophies and the historic nature of the FA Cup mean something to the fans. And it means something to like fans in America, too. Winning an FA Cup, look at your squad. Like, How happy would you be if Tottenham won an FA Cup, right? Like, oh, man, I would be exactly. elated. I, I would take a ninth place finish if we won the FA Cup. I'm, <laughs> I'm being straight up honest. I mean, you still might finish ninth anyway, but here's the thing. like, you know, It's, it's an achievement, and it's something these players uh, will remember for the rest of their lives. Jamie Vardy, now a, cha- um, excuse me, a Premier League winner and an FA Cup winner. All yeah. with Leicester City. I think that's that's pretty remarkable. Pretty amazing considering he was playing non-league football in like the fifth or sixth division as like a 25. So I have a fun stat about Jamie Vardy for you. All right. He's me. played in every single round of the FA Cup. Wow. Okay. First so that, player that... to ever do it. Wow. Yeah. So this includes not like what we think of as like, oh, you know how it's the third round in the English right. Premier League team. It's like the first round for like the the for the lads play in yeah. and like the f- marine fcs play in like way yep. way before the big dogs get in there yep yep uh for the lads is our team in seattle by the way in case anyone's wondering <laughs> and wants to check out our amateur league team uh but yeah i i'm totally with you it's still going to be something all these players look back on for the rest of their lives and uh, fans of lesser city so this game leaves these two teams in a precarious position. I won't say what position because the game following game really affects that. Chelsea on 70, 67 points, and they play at Aston Villa on the final day. Leicester City are on 66 points, and they are at home to Tottenham on the final day. Uh, neither of those games are cakewalks, especially with uh, Jack Grealish starting for Villa this past week. So... Very, very interesting. It's still close. Leicester City still have a chance, Justin. 
Oh, they still have a chance. Yeah, I mean, it's looking bleak and bleaker than it did going into the game, right? But it's definitely still a chance. I mean, we've seen crazier things happen, Kyle, than one of those teams getting a draw and Leicester winning at home against Tottenham. That's not crazy by any stretch of the imagination. So while they're not favored, for sure, it's not over. Definitely not over. But, Kyle, I mean... It's not over because Liverpool finished uh, and took care of business. Then they finished Burnley super easily, to, to be said. I mean, I thought this would be more of a game. I thought Chris Wood would give them more of a trouble. But L- Liverpool swept them out of the park 3-0. Easy, comfortable win. And Kyle, this puts Liverpool at 66 points as well. Now level with Leicester, but with a four-goal advantage on them as well. That's right. They're even on 66 points. Uh, this puts this puts Liverpool's Champions League hopes firmly in Liverpool hands. And say quietly, but back when we did our top four analysis like 10 weeks ago, I believe you and I said Liverpool were, were a lock. We did, as, as above United, by the way. That's yes, what we said. And, and after like three weeks after we made that prediction, we looked crazy. We were just totally eating our words, but... Now look at it closely. Liverpool are in fourth. It's just—it oh, means we semi know what we're doing. Yeah, we we must be experts over here. But look, I saw this as a statement win for Liverpool. They've been sort of really grinding out wins in a much more difficult way than it ever had to have been. Uh, they haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't—I don't think they've looked great the last couple of weeks. But they've still gotten the Ws. This one though was the most comfortable they've had in a long, long time. Uh, Burnley gave them some difficulty early on in the match, but after then, Liverpool were just coasting. And I should say, this was in front of a normally very, very difficult Burnley crowd at Turf Moor. Since this was the first game all season where fans could be in the Premier League, this is not one of the stadiums you want to go play at. Um, It's very much not glitz and glamour and big money. I mean, Burnley is a working-class footballing town. Uh, So, tough, tough crowd, but Liverpool just swept them off their feet pretty easily and kyle we had a bobby Firmino uh, performance and appearance too where he scored a goal um nice cross in from robertson i believe for the goal that he tucked under nick pope and i have to say nick pope should have been better this game i feel like he could have saved the first and the second goal um the i believe the cross into phillips for the second goal but at the end of the day liverpool deserved to win and it's hard to look at them as not... I mean, let me say this another way. They have to be favorites, right? They have the easiest game remaining at home versus Crystal Palace. Chelsea has a little bit of tricky game going to Aston Villa, and then Leicester, of course, has a tricky game at home against, you know, Harry Kane's farewell Tottenham Hotspur Club, right? So both tricky games there. So we're going to see... We'll see what happens, but... If you had to pick the order of those three teams, what are you picking, Kyle? I think they're all three going to win on the final day, which would leave Leicester out just barely, just mm-hmm. barely. Both I, that, On that way, Liverpool and Leicester would both finish on 69 points and then Leicester 69 down to the Europa League. Nice. Not nice to Leicester, but to no. the, whatever. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just barely by a hair. Look, I... People are saying at home to Tottenham is tricky. I mean, potentially, because Tottenham have good players. But come on, man. I have zero faith in Spurs putting in a performance. Do I think Leicester are going to smoke Spurs, though? Probably not. And do I think Liverpool have a greater chance of winning by multiple goals against a Palace team who are saying goodbye to Roy Hodgson? Probably don't have their full focus on the game. I mean, come on. I I can see in front of their home crowd, too. Right, right. Exactly. For the first time all season, the first time you can hear you'll never walk alone. I mean, they're going to be feeling it. But we've seen... Well, no, there have been fans there earlier in the season when they had like 2,000 fans in there. Oh, for that like one or two games? Yeah. True. True. So I shouldn't say that. But yes, I mean, the return of fans for a very long time. So it's hard to imagine, but I mean, I guess it's possible if Leicester have another 9-0 in them. It is. We, we've seen uh, the Gerrard slip. We've seen Liverpool. 
that same season tie three three to Palace. So like right. there are some scars when it comes to Palace in the later days when it comes to Liverpool. But you know, Justin, it's not just the Champions League spots that are up for grabs the last couple of days. Much less exciting, but I think also very valid to talk about are the Europa League spots. Fifth mm-hmm. place and sixth place. Uh still up for grabs, very much so. Also very close. Um well West Ham are in fifth place, but I think this game was a little more interesting because I don't want to talk about barcode. But Tottenham, Tottenham were in sixth place going into this match week. They lost one to two at home to Aston Villa. Oh man, as a Spurs fan, this game was so painful to see the fans finally come back into the stadium. Probably get to see Harry Kane at home uh, for the last time, uh, probably ever, unless he comes back. And at halftime, they boo the team. <laughs> And at the final whistle, they boo the team off, which is very valid because, oh, my God, man. Oh, my God. Sergio Regulon with the man of the match performance for Aston Villa, by the way, with the craziest own goal you'll ever see and also had a big, nice, fat assist for uh, Villa on, uh, what was it, Ollie Watkins' goal. So, my God, he had a nightmare. For those of Uh, you that don't know, Sergio Regulon is Tottenham Hotspur's left back. So that's how bad he was. He was the other team's best player. Yeah, he he was on a mission to um, hand Villa the W on this game, which, okay, yeah, I'm being an asshole. It's tough on him, but the the own goal that he scored was just, he could try that 100 times and never do it again. Yeah. Seriously, it was that crazy. He was probably from like 15 yards out, volley with his right foot, side netting. Beautiful goal. (laughs) And then a terrible terrible giveaway for the second one. Uh, Twice gave it away. Just pretty unbelievable. I, I watched that probably 10 times in a row, just how horrific and amazing it was at the same time. What struck me most about this match, though, was the way Harry Kane walked around the pitch at the end, Kyle. Yep. Uh, he looked a little teary-eyed, like you were saying farewell. I don't know if I'm reading into it. I'm wondering what your thoughts are, but it seemed like he was clapping and a little sad and very reminiscent of his times at White Hart Lane, Kyle. Yeah, not not well, it's not White Hart Lane anymore, but well, still, I like... And, you know, that stadium is still something to be to be proud of. I guess it's all Spurs fans have to cling on to at this point. But not only did Harry Kane applaud the fans and look a little teary-eyed, but he did a nice little lap around the stadium uh, to get closer to the fans. And, my God, I mean, look, I understand this is the first game back, except for, you know, fans have been in one game this season. So, but... First game back for the fans, you could have been clapping for that with COVID and all that and everything everyone's been through, but that was a farewell uh, trot around the pitch if I've ever seen one. Someone's still got to pay that money, though. It's not a shoe-in. Someone's going to pay $120 million plus, but... Oh, we'll have plenty of time for transfer rumor episodes after the season, but... Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Barcode FC, as we know, and we've celebrated many times, we've popped champagne bottles over. They're leaving the Premier League, so we don't want to talk about them. But West Ham went to West Brom and won 3-1, to one, which kind of cements them in sixth place, Kyle, at 62 points at home versus Southampton next. So they're three points up on Tottenham. They do not have the goal difference tiebreaker, but if they get at least a point versus Southampton... They clinched that sixth spot, Kyle, and it's hard for me to see them losing out on Europa League. Yeah, I mean, I've seen crazier things than uh, West Ham losing to Southampton, but you're totally right. It'll be at home. The West Ham fans will be feeling it. West Ham, you'd think, would be up for it. They've shown up when it's mattered most. And uh, most importantly, Spurs being three points behind, they have to win at Leicester. Like, That's not easy. We're in Leicester have a lot to play for. A lot to play for, and Spurs don't really have all that much to play. I don't think the players really care about Europa, so yeah, not looking great. And I, we threw in one more, you know, first of all, I gotta say that would be an amazing season from West Ham. The fact that they even were in the Champions League race for as long as they were is pretty, pretty incredible. And hats off to David Moyes. Uh, one more game in this Europa League sort of uh fixture list that we threw in there just because it's, I guess, mathematically so possible. Everton winning at home to Wolves, 1-0. A pretty dull game where Charleston Header won this game. Uh, Wolves had some chances, but this keeps their very, very slim Europa League hopes alive. Uh, They're on 59 points, level with Tottenham, but have a far, far inferior goal differential going into the final day. But they got to go to City 
on the final day of the season. Who very well could play their B team or C team or even D team, but still no guarantee. Yeah, I don't, still I still don't think Everton score nine more goals than West Ham, and with West Ham losing, so. Yeah, it's looking bleak for Everton, but let me tell you, Kyle, Everton could easily finish above Tottenham. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which would, uh, a tournament that was brought to my attention only two or three weeks ago, the European Conference League, which I don't even have enough info to really tell you what it is, but only one English team gets in it if you finish seventh place, so, oh, yikes. The race for that is on. Because it's not just Tottenham and Arsenal that are in, or Tottenham and Everton that are in that race, Kyle. It's Arsenal Football Club, uh, yeah. who are on 58 points, by the way. And so we'll get into the rest of the matches right now. Let's we have we're running short on time, so we'll go over this quickly to get to the team of the season, Kyle. Uh, so Arsenal went to Crystal Palace and won three to one. And you said pre-show to me, uh, just watch out for Nicolas Pepe next season, Kyle. That's your uh, that's your sneaky yeah. little prediction. My hot take for look out for next season, which I actually posed that to some Arsenal fans in my uh, group chat of guys I grew up playing soccer with, and he actually agreed. The Arsenal fans agreed. So even though he's been frustrating, he's shown flashes of uh, promise, but maybe third time's a charm. Manchester United uh, hosted Fulham Football Club, and what a wonder goal from Edinson Cavani. I mean, my God, chipping it from 45 yards or so um, over Areola. So one of the, I would say, one of my favorite goals of the season um, I've watched. But don't get the win, but that's okay. Uh, Southampton lost at home to 2-0 to Leeds United, who are finishing the season really strong and are on the top five of best performers out of the championship in straight into the Premier League. So well done to Leeds United. Brighton hosted Manchester City, and they won 3-2. to two. City lost a man and went down to 10 men in this game, but Brighton carried the torch and really played well um, against City's 10 men for granted. But still, Brighton played really well. little bit of a heated exchange, Kyle, between Graham Potter and... Pep Guardiola at the end of this game, which was pretty funny to see, but Graham Potter gets the dub. And then lastly, Newcastle won 1-0 over Sheffield United. Not much to say about this game, but Joe Willock with six goals in six games. You have to think Arsenal are going to take him back, and he'll compete for a starting position because Joe Willock has been in the form of his life. All right, Kyle, it's time. We've been teasing this segment, I feel like, for two episodes now, but... We have finally arrived at our over-the-top EPL team of the season. And there are a lot of candidates and a lot of strong contenders, but I think you and I respectively have settled on our team of the seasons. Yes, and it, it was not easy. It really no. wasn't easy. I mean, for some positions, yes, like striker, one of the center back positions, you know, easy does it, left back, but... I got to say, man, a lot of these I was really torn on uh, for at least like half the position. So this should be pretty interesting. And we were torn on the right ones. I mean, we'd seen some uh, some team of the seasons, I believe, uh, Gary Neville, right? Oh, yeah. Marcus Rashford in there. And, you know, Marcus Rashford is a good player, but like he doesn't sniff my top 11. No, I mean, I love the guy. I love what he does off the pitch, and I think he's a great player and has improved a lot. But, yeah, come on, man. He hasn't had a great... If you look at his stats, everyone loves to point to stats. His stats aren't even that great, and he isn't even close to being United's best player of the season. So I'm not having that. Well, let's get into it, and let's start at goalie. And I will go first for goalie, and then we'll alternate. But this is a hard one for me. I mean, there are so many different candidates. You could to Edward Mendy and his story, uh, Nick Pope keeping Burnley in how many games this season, just not the one today. Uh, but I'm going to go with Ederson, Kyle. And you could argue the defense in front of him has been really good, and I get that argument, but most clean sheets, countless saves to win City different games, and his distribution and passing that has led to goals this season is unmatched in the Premier League. Uh, so I'm going to, and probably, uh, what Pep Guardiola says, this isn't part of the reason why, just a fun nugget, says is City's best penalty taker. So for all of those three plus one reasons, uh, I'm going to go with Ederson, Kyle. 
Who do you have? Yeah, Ederson's passing range for a goalkeeper is like nothing I've ever seen before. Absolutely unreal. Totally like city goalkeeper type. But I'm going to go a little different route than you. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, Ederson's your pick. He's definitely was in discussion for me. I put him in my like subs bench. Uh, you mentioned Mendy. I want to give him a shout out. But I went with a little curveball and I'm going Emmy Martinez over mm-hmm. at Aston Villa, who had a great season after. Going out on loan for, you know, originally at Arsenal, Arsenal sent him out on loan like umpteen times, it seems. Last season he was at, um, or the season before he was at Reading, I believe it was. Last season when Burnt Leno got injured, he played a little bit and really impressed. And Villa took the gamble and signed him for $20 million at the time, which seemed like a lot of money. But Justin, that was a good, good buy if I've ever seen one before. Um, a lot of money for keeper, but... Emmy Martinez, I remember for a while there, I don't know if this is still the case, but for a while, Emmy Martinez was one of the top five fantasy Premier League point scorers. Uh, mm-hmm. This was like as of 10 match ten weeks, weeks ago. ago, I think. Yeah. Outrageous. But not just fantasy points and stats or anything like that, but he seems so calm and so commanding in his box. And I've been really, really impressed with him. So I- I'm going to give it to Emmy Martinez. Solid, solid pick. I had thought about that one too, but went a different direction. Uh, let's go to right back. Who do you have as your right back pick? Yeah, so I, I'm going to leave. I'm only going to mention my pick and leave the bench to you because I, I remember last time we talked about this, you were very, very torn in it and still weren't sure. So I'm just going to go right out and say my pick, and I'm going to go with Zhao Cancelo, who, mm. which is interesting because Cancelo's been playing left back for like probably as much as he's played right back, maybe even more, but it probably comes down to City not really having a left back and Walker still doing his thing at about 30, 31 years old. But Zhao Cancelo, I was really surprised when City spent 40 million pounds on him last season and hardly played him because I thought he was an unbelievable player for first, I think it was Inter and then Juve and Valencia before that or something like that. But so technical, so tricky, two-footed, um... Turns out he can play left back as well and cut in and just rip shots at goal. But just the creativity he brings from an outside back per, uh, position is just unreal. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing him in that Portugal, uh, Portugal side at the Euros. So I would love to hear your pick. Yeah, I mean, Cancelo was definitely one uh, that I had thought of. Uh, for my bench, I thought Kufal on West Ham was another really strong contender, Kyle. Um Man, it, it was really tough, but I had to choose Dallas from Leeds United, Kyle, with eight goals on the season. The way that Leeds United plays going from back to the front to the back and how what condition he has to play in and just the amount of hustle and the goal scoring prowess that he has. So I went with Dallas from Leeds United and I, I think you could do three players easily, the ones that uh the one that you picked in Jao Cancelo, I think you could go Dallas. I think you could make an argument for Kyle Walker as well. So many, many strong contenders, but Dallas from Leeds United takes the cake. For center back, I'll go, I'll do my pick quickly here and go it over to you. First one was super easy for me. Ruben Diaz, probably my player of the season, Kyle. And uh, what the what a difference he's made. And I know he's getting clowned right now for his performance against Brighton with 10 men, which I'm not going to judge his whole season over. Uh but what he's meant as as a rock solid defender, and that was something that City were really missing. They had Laporte, but oft injured, and um, they had John Stones, who was unreliable, who's now reliable because he has such a rock solid partner in Ruben Diaz, who's just shut down every opponent. He has speed, he has leadership abilities, he has aerial ability. I mean, he's just the whole package, and he's still young. I think he's twenty three or twenty four, and so. Many, many good years left, and I think far and away, uh, probably my easiest choice on the board. Yeah, I can't argue with that whatsoever. And, and people forget the best center backs and best players really make all the players around them a lot better. He's really had the Van Dyke effect on Man City, and this is the first time we've ever seen a Pep Guardiola team with a great defense. So uh, I think that to me says it all, especially from a young player like Ruben Diaz. I mean, what a purchase. Uh, for my other center back, though, there are a lot of options, and I know offline we were debating you know, who that second choice should be. I think we were considering all the same players, but 
I'm going to mention how unreliable Stones is, and in my opinion, always has been. He, for example, was rumored to go to Tottenham um, this summer, and I didn't want him at Spurs, which <laughs> does it all, really. Uh, the fact that he's improved so much. A lot of this comes down to Ruben Diaz, but you you got to give him credit. He's been solid. Uh, he seems to have really cut out uh, most, if not all, mistakes in his game. We'll see if that still happens in, for England in the, at the Euros. But uh, John Stones, I got to give him credit. He's been he's been really solid. His distribution is great and has shown some good leadership qualities. Well, and has chipped in with a few goals. So I'm going to go John Stones. Which route did you go? I went a different route. I think John Stones is a super solid pick and definitely a runner up for me. Uh, I thought the Leicester City defenders this season were fantastic and. I had to include Wesley Fofana in here. And this isn't a biased pick, I don't think. I think he came in with you know, very little expectations, a young player coming over from St. Etienne, I believe. But what a player he's been stepping up and just being a rock-solid insertion into Leicester City's starting lineup all year. I mean, you had Soyuncu go down early in the season with a, you know, a pretty bad injury for a few months. And he wasn't expected to play as much as he did. And now he's... A must-start. I mean, he's partnered with Johnny Evans, played a back three with Johnny Evans and Kaglar Sayonchu, and playing during Ramadan right now, which gets a lot of credit because you can't, you have to fast during the daytime, and he still puts in the performance that he does. And big reason why Leicester City is in that top four race, Kyle. And so, just based on all of his performances and just the ability and the calm nature, he plays way wiser than his years. And so, made Wesley Fofana a favorite for me. Absolutely. Uh, Fofana was the other one I was really thinking about. And to your point, Leicester City center backs, I was actually considering Johnny Evans too. So yeah. I think that says a lot about uh, both City center backs and Leicester center backs. The fact that um, those were the ones we were discussing. I mean, if you think uh, about exclusively. Like, if you think about all the other big teams like Arsenal, <laughs> yeah, center backs, and throw Tottenham back in that category too. Uh-huh. And then you say Chelsea, and they've had a lot of solid, but inconsistencies, especially early on in the year. Um, I think they've been better as of late, obviously. Uh, Manchester United, I mean, you could argue Slabhead, but he's not nearly uh, had the season that these folks have had. Um, and then where do you go from there? I mean, yeah. that's it. So, well, Do you throw in Villa's center backs? I'm, I'm thinking, no, probably they, they not. They fell off, right? I mean, I could, I could see uh, if Chelsea had a better season, if Chelsea had a better defensive coach for much of the season, Antonio Rudiger maybe getting in the conversation. I think he's a center back that I rate really highly. Thiago but Silva, but like, eh, you he's know. getting on, but yeah. Yeah. One position, though, uh, very much like Ruben Diaz, a center back, that I don't think anyone can argue with, and oh my God. An example of Kyle eating his words right here. Left back, Luke Shaw. I've been dogging on him for years, calling him milk tits. He's still got those milk tits. Oh, it's still there. That's But oh my god. Maybe the most improved player all season. I mean he's been unbelievable for United in that left back position. Looks solid defensively. He even though he is on the chunkier side, the dude has a crazy engine bombs up and down that left-hand side and actually has a bit of creativity to his game too. This is a left back we all thought we would see when he popped up as a 17-year-old at Southampton. So Luke Shaw, um, maybe next to Ruben Diaz, the easiest pick on this team of the season. I mean, you're not going to go with someone else, are you? No. Who saw this coming, though? I mean, at the beginning of the season when Crazy. Uh, United went out and spent money on Alex Tellez, and we thought he would be the great you know, the next great left back for United, and he's hardly sniffed the field all season. And that's due to Luke Shaw playing as well as he did. Um, Surprise of the season for me. I mean, we were dogging on him. He was in the same clubhouse as Jesse Lingard. Yeah, I was going to say the other surprise. Yeah, right. Uh, So, I mean, he was in the doghouse, but what a turnaround season. And, you know, we'll see what happens and if that changes with fans back in the stand. Maybe fans needed to go away, and he... uh, (laughs) Oh, that was weird. Maybe the fans <laughs> needed to go away, and uh, he needed <laughs> he needed to show up again, and you know. But Luke Shaw, uh, easiest pick uh, besides Ruben Diaz for me. Absolutely, stop talking. Are you all right? Like, is your throat all right over there? 
<laughs> okay, so that's yeah, I just I can't I believe we picked Luke Shaw. I'm like having a seizure just even thinking about it. Not just uh, that. It was not not just that. The fact that Luke Shaw was a cakewalk into this team, but I know. Oh yeah, man, can't even process. But let's move on to the midfield, Kyle, which I think is we're going to start getting more discrepancies and more difficult choices in here. And so let me start with um, let me start with a defensive midfielder here and. I know we could vary and you know differ on opinion, but and he's had some injuries this season. But N'Golo Kanté and what he's meant to this Chelsea season, this Chelsea team, and I think without N'Golo Kanté, Chelsea is nowhere near this top four race. He has been that important to them, going and sweeping up all the counterattacks, especially early on in the year, and the way that Chelsea press and attack um, and intercept, uh, he is all over the field and doing all of the dirty work for this team. And so, you know, he's not on the stat sheet for goals or an assist, but he makes up for it for his defensive prowess and just his ability to be all over the field. So that was my inclusion, barely over Mason Mount. Kyle, who do you have? Interesting pick, Justin. Interesting pick. Look, I love N'Golo Conte. Uh, I totally agree with you, at least in terms of since Tuchel has come back into the team, or especially the last like quarter of this uh, season, especially in recent weeks, I mean, N'Golo Conte finally looks back to his best after a year or two with injuries and in different form, being played in a weird position by Lampard, which I never understood. Yeah, that was dumb. But, but for me, I don't, I just don't think N'Golo Conte has done enough to really uh, work his way into his uh, the team of the season. I'm going for quite an 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 attacking midfield trio. I'm going to go with one sitting deeper lying uh, midfielder and two, um, I guess you could call it attacking or box to box midfielders, kind of like an inverted triangle. But for my deep lying sort of defensive center mid position, I know he didn't always play this position, especially in the middle part of the season, but I'm going to go with Ilkay Gundogan, uh, Justin crazy crazy goal scoring form this season yeah. but it wasn't just the goals I mean he's always played that deeper somewhat box to box but really is like the metronome in Man City's team and to be metronome for Man City uh, says it all and the fact that he's adding goals and assists venturing forward a little more uh, while still also playing that deeper role because Fernandinho can't play every game and neither can Rodri. So Gundogan right. also fills in there. And that flexibility and just the sheer form he was on for about three or four months there, I'm going to have to throw in uh, Gundogan into that deeper lying position. But moving a little farther forward, this got a little tricky. So how about we get the easy one out of the way? I think you and I agree on this. Bruno Fernandes, arguably the player of the season, not quite for me, but I... In an attacking sense, in a midfield sense, I can't really remember a signing making such an impact to Manchester United, especially that second half of last season. But this season, he's also been outrageous. Um, goals, assists, sure, he loses the ball quite an often amount of times, but um, he tries shit. He tries shit, yeah. and I, I give him credit for that. He's, he's cheeky. Uh, his way to pass is great. His finishing is great. I uh, don't like the hop, skip, and a jump penalty, but whatever. I'll, I'll make it. I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one because he makes it work. And uh, he's just a great player. He's been a breath of fresh air for the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, United would not be in the position they are without him, no doubt. No. Uh, so I, I think it's an easy, easy inclusion onto onto our top eleven here. Another one that was a little harder, but not because of this quality, but just the amount of games that he played. But I have KDB as my last midfielder. And even though he has played much, many less games than some of the other ones like uh, Mason Mount or uh, Thomas Suchek or Rice or Basuma, um, he's quality, Kyle. And he's still racking up the assists, even in the minimal amount of games that he's played. And when he's on that pitch, nobody can stop him. Not one player can stop his crossing ability or just his mental ability to find spaces on the field or create amazing shots and goals and, you know, just long balls or whatever it may be. I just think he, I think he's probably the best player in the Premier League, maybe outside of Harry Kane. So uh, you can, there's an argument that he's better. So I, I, it was an easy inclusion for me. The only reason it was hard was just by the amount of player, uh, amount of games that he played, Kyle. 
Yeah, and I, I hear your uh, iffiness, I guess, so to speak, on whether or not to include him because he was injured for what, like the first ten, maybe fifteen games of the season. But I think he's played twenty-two or twenty-three games. Yeah, twenty-two, twenty-three games. Yeah, um, you know, you could say the same thing about Jack Grealish too, and I'm sure a lot True. of people putting Grealish in into their teams of the season as well. Um, but you know, maybe I'm showing my bias a little bit um, in terms of who I think is just are the best players, but I'm, I'm with you. How can you overlook Kevin De Bruyne? I mean, for me, my money, he's the best player in the Premier League, uh, the best midfielder in the world, uh, easily the best playmaker. I mean, you mentioned his ability to pick up pockets of space. It's just, I feel like the mark of great and special players are players that just always seem to have time on the ball. He mm-hmm. always seems to have so much time, and he's much more athletic than I think anyone ever thought he could ever be as a player his weight of pass is perfect his crossing is perfect his vision is great um his intelligence just on and off the ball is just brilliant so i love de bruyne as a player and i have to throw him in um quick shout out though for mason mount another player who we've dogged on in the past but oh my god maybe also i him and luke shaw probably the most improved players in the in the league you could argue um right I, mean, I would Chelsea's also player of the season. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. And I would also throw in Jack Grealish into there. I know he often plays on the left hand side. Uh, Jack Grealish might make an appearance later anyway. But to me, he is a, an attacking center mid cam position. I love watching Grealish play. I'd love to see him play for a bigger team with better players. Um, probably unfair on Villa since this is boyhood club. But Mountain Grealish are the two that I would uh, throw in there as well. So we both opted for a four three three, but we could easily have done a four four two. Kyle, um, I'm going to start at the sp- the the top of the attack, the striker position, because I think this is the easiest. Harry Kane. I mean, what a season! How do you how do you double digit assist over twenty goals? There's just no way, no striker close with those numbers and the what a player means to a team. You take Harry Kane off of Spurs, and they're not nearly the same team. So the just the impact that he has on that club is massive and just his overall Premier League record and what he's done this season, which made it not even a choice. It was just an automatic slot on my card, Kyle. I'm sure you yeah. agree. Yeah, automatic on mine too. Look, I, I I think Harry Kane will I don't think Harry Kane will win MVP this season for the Premier League simply because he plays for Tottenham. I mean honestly, because if you look at his stats and even just watching him in his general, everyone's been talking about him as a creator, uh, the way he holds up the ball and finds space. It's not just his stats. It's his general play that's been outstanding. And it honestly surprised me because I've always thought he's just a goal poacher and he's really evolved. But at the moment, there's one game left to go, but top goal scorer, top assister in the league. I mean, you can't argue with that. No. So. I mean, I, I don't think he'll win um, player of the season simply because I'm sure they'll look at City and be like, well, we got to go to someone on City. And I tend to agree because Ruben Diaz has been amazing. But Kane, easy cakewalk into the side. Did want to give a quick little shout out to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, though, although you could argue really fell off on the second half of the season as at Everton entirely. Patrick Bamford, though. Yeah, what a player. Speaking of Chelsea loan army, Bamford is the perennial loanee from Chelsea. He must have been loaned out like 10 times. Finally, he's finding his feet under Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds. And I think he has like 15 or 16 goals this season. So, yeah. Man, I mean, uh, he was written off so many times. So good for him to get double-digit goals and been a really key player on a Leeds United team. Like I said earlier, Kyle, one of the best promoted teams ever. Top five, I think, ever in the Premier League to come and get, what are they at, like 56 points right now? That's quite an achievement. I mean, the only other two that come to mind, are, the only ones that come to mind are Wolves when they first came up. Wolves, you know? yeah, Wolves. Uh, there was an Ipswich Town team that came up around 2000, 2001 that got over 60. Uh, Sheffield United last year was really good. Yeah, uh, I think there was a Sunderland team in the 2000s. So, yeah, I mean, they're they've not been that many. Most yeah. of them go right back down. Full city with that Brazilian guy like 15 to 10 years ago. I, I don't oh, remember. No, them, but I remember they had a crazy. I remember they had a crazy season. But yeah, Bamford, what a season. But look, I, I think we actually went with similar lineups here simply because I couldn't really think of a second striker that deserved to get there. So 
Uh, we had the striker, three midfielders, and two wide attackers. One that I think we both agree on. Feel free to stop me if I'm wrong. Out on the left-hand side, I'm going to put Hyungmin Son, or, or I was told by my Korean stepdad, is Hyungmin Son. Hyungmin Son, apparently. Uh, I mean, yes, Tottenham bias, but come on. He's had an unbelievable season. You got to say, though, he does go missing uh, often, but um, I'm not sure exactly what his stats are, but he's somewhere around like 14, 15 goals a season, has like six or seven assists. What a season. He's so clinical, such an exciting player to watch, and um, how can you not like Son, man? Yeah, I mean, if you take Son and Harry Kane, who we just talked about, off of Tottenham, they might be like a... 15th place club seriously i mean nah, that's seriously. not fair you take the top two players off any club again i guess minus city and they're not nearly as good but yeah i agree i agree this was a tough one for me though i mean i thought of jack grealish i thought of phil foden yep. kyle uh yeah. as a shout because of what phil foden has done but he's been good in champions league he's been good in fa cup and different competitions and especially the second half of the year but I think Phil Foden's only started like 16 games in the Premier League, yeah. which kind of eliminated because that's less than half the game. So that was really tough to give it to him. Whereas Hunming Sun has had, what do you say, 14, 15 goals this season. So just quite an achievement and really invaluable. He has uh, 17 goals actually in 10 assists. There I just looked it up. So, I mean, double digit numbers, it's hard to exclude someone with double digit numbers and both goals and assists and just the impact that he's had to Spurs saving them saving their asses quite a few games especially with Harry Kane out and like seemingly the only player that will perform for Tottenham so going with him and then on the right hand side this is another tough one for me but I went with Mo Salah Kyle um Liverpool you know it's had to be said their defenders went out it was a tough sledding for a large part of the season losing how many row at Anfield after not losing like 60 something in a row? They lost like five in a row at Anfield, which is crazy. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Mo Salah gets criticized and I think a little unfairly for having a bad season because you look at other Liverpool players where Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane are the other parts of that trio and they both have nine goals this season after 37 games. Mo Salah has 22, Kyle, and he's the one that get railed on as the bad season. He's not a team player, uh, not providing enough for this team. But 22 goal season, and we're saying this guy's having a bad season. Like, what are we doing? And so, I mean, just based on that, and just the impact that he's had to Liverpool this season, and keeping them in games, and his goals alone providing results when they really need it, um, made it a must include for me. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I. Did not share your must-include status on Mo Salah on this one, but I also threw him in there because you really can't argue with the amount of goals and the amount of times that he saved Liverpool's ass this season. But uh, to to play devil's advocate, um, well, I don't think any of the front three had a great season, especially Mane, which is really surprising to me because he's my he's my personal favorite of the bunch. I think he's the best player, uh, has the most his game, but. When I watch Salah this season, I just look at him and feel like he has so many goals. I mean, yes, he's a great goal scorer, but I feel like he's selfish, man. I don't think he makes anyone around him better. Um, but Tough. look, if he can score 20-plus goals a season regularly, then I guess you you earn the right to be selfish. But, um, you know, my Liverpool supporting dad, for example, I... I uh, asked him, what would you do with Liverpool? And he says, change up the front three. And I would sell Salah for a lot of money because I think he's selfish and doesn't make anyone better. And I tend to agree with him. Um, I'd be curious to hear how many assists he has. I'd imagine it's not very many. Yes, four. Uh, four, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not terrible. So, but I you, mean, I'm how s- many do you, I mean, like, what do you think Bobby Firmino and uh, Mane have, though, for comparison? That's interesting. I, I would guess maybe like eight for Firmino, but probably not. Probably around the same, huh? Uh, Firmino has six. Okay, okay. And I mean, Mane I'm not has gonna... seven. So, but I yeah. mean, Salah has 22 goals and they have yeah. nine. So, like, what are we doing? Of course. I mean, look, I, I threw him in the team also, but um, I also couldn't think of that many other wide right attackers that were good enough to warrant a spot over a guy with 22 goals. So I threw him in there. Um, he could still be top scorer this season. 
I very mean, easily. I think he's only who, one behind Harry Kane at this point, right? Um, let me confirm. So Saul is at 22. Harry Kane is at 22. They're tied. Oh, they're tied. Yeah. So he could easily, easily finish top scorer this season. So uh, it'd be hard to not put the top scorer in um, team of the season, especially as a not a striker per se. So uh, after so, Salah, though, I, I did want to throw out, uh, I think Riyad Mahrez had a great season, uh, really un, unseating um, Raheem Sterling in that city side. And I also want to give a special shout out to Rafinha from Leeds. I mean, holy shit, what a signing. Like 15, 17 million pounds out of nowhere from Wren, although Wren made the Champions League with him. Uh, so he clearly was a good player, but... This guy has is just dripping in sauce. I mean, he's so fun to watch. He's so silky, uh, can score some goals too, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful player. So want to give them a shout-out, but you can't put them over Salah. Come on. No, I mean, Riyad Mahrez had some great performances in the Champions League, but 26 starts, 9 goals, 5 assists. So, like, there you're, like, putting up similar numbers to Sadio Mane. Right. In the Premier League, which is just fast. I mean, way less games, right? But still, it's like uh, interesting to think about where Raheem Sterling has ten goals and six assists, better numbers than Mares does in the in the Premier League. It's interesting how perception uh, changes according to the and player form. Yep. Uh, so it's fascinating. I th- I think Grealish is a really good. I think Rafinha is an interesting. I mean, he doesn't quite have the numbers either, but. He has some sauce. I mean, he has what? I think I don't have it in front of me, but eight or nine assists this season on a Leeds United team and plays super attacking football and provides a lot to that team. So, probably uh, has similar goal amounts too. I mean, I have him on my fantasy teams and he uh, he always comes up clutch. So, I'd imagine he has a fair <laughs> amount of goals as well. So, yeah. Great though. But I, I mean, looking at both of our teams this season, I think they're both very solid. I see the argument for all the players that we both have on there. Um, no crazy inclusions by any stretch of the imagination. No Marcus Rashford's or... No. I don't know. I forget what his other player was. He, had, it was, he is another United player. Not like Anthony Martial. That would be Maguire. insane. Maguire. Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see yeah. it. I really don't see it. I don't think he's... I mean, he's been good, but not. he hasn't been a team of the season player. No. No. We'll see if he gets healthy for the Europa final, the Europa League final. That, yeah, and what about the Euros? He should be fine for the Euros. I would think so. Yeah. Speaking of which, we will be talking Euros this summer, but we will, uh, we'll have to give you some more information later on down yeah, the line. Yeah, after the are going over time. Yeah, we are over the time, but uh, lots, uh, lots to unpack here in the next couple of weeks, Kyle. We got the Premier League ending. We got top four race. Three don't fit into two, so we'll see who finishes in between Leicester, Chelsea, and Liverpool for those top four places. We have Europa League, which it seems to be West Ham, but we've seen crazier things happen. And we got that Europe Conference League, Kyle. Who's going to finish in that first ever seventh place Europe Conference League berth between Tottenham, Everton, and Arsenal. The race is on. The race is on. I don't even want to reveal my answer, so I'll keep that to myself. And then, Kyle, we have the following week, we have Europa League final between Manchester United and Good Evenings via Real. And then we have the Champions League final between Manchester City and Chelsea played in Porto. Of all places, it was scheduled to play, take place in Turkey. Uh, some things going on in Turkey, so they moved it over to Porto. Um, and the reason Porto and not in England because there is um, COVID restrictions in England for incoming travelers, and there's a lot of UEFA people that have to come into England, and then it would have made logistics really hard. So they settled on Porto. We'll give those uh, we'll give those picks at a later time, though, because we do have an episode in between there where we, we will recap all of the latest Premier League action and break down which teams fit where and then talk about what teams impressed us the most and what teams uh, were quite disappointments. West Brom doesn't even calculate as a disappointment, by the way, because they're just, they're just shit to begin with. So if you start as shit and you end as shit, you're probably just shit, right? Jeez. <laughs> we're gonna end on that one <laughs> <laughs> oh i guess so i guess so i mean uh yeah i mean we're gonna end on that 
but upcoming, just to remind you what's going on this weekend, Chelsea, 67 points, play at Aston Villa. Liverpool, fourth place, 66 points, home versus Palace. Fifth place, Leicester, 66 points, home versus Tottenham. So we'll see what happens in that top four race. Make sure to tune in at Sunday, I believe 7 or 8 a.m. All the games are played at the same time. So you'll flip between NBC, NBC Sports, and USA, I believe, for those three games all happening, kickoff and ending at the same time. So should be a lot of fun. For Kyle, I am Justin. Thanks for tuning in to this Match Week 37. We will come back to you next week with Match Week 38 coverage, UEFA Champions League and Europa League predictions, and our most well-performed teams and disappointing teams as well. Take care.